Oh, it's definitely the system and the chronic underfunding of schools and children. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. You raise walls, I destroy them. Let's see who prevails. Just because something works doesn't mean that it cannot be improved. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Allow my sword to join you in the fight against evil. The world needs us to chase dreams. We have to dedicate ourselves each and every single day to this fight because I can't do it alone. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines. The power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful. To make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us all unite. Welcome to At The Movies with Klaus. Where one good deed always sparks another. I'm Sean. I'm Becca. And I'm Jen. And we're here to talk about Klaus. It's a movie that's on Netflix that you could watch right now. And you should. It's such a good movie. And and as as Becca said, it is quite a good movie. It's worth watching at least once. At least once. Maybe twice. Or, you know, five times like I have. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. I don't have a problem. No, it's Christmas time. I don't think that makes it a problem at all. I think if you watch this only... And then also quit your job and stop going to school and also stopped showering and eating for like six months straight. Then we might might have a problem. Only maybe, though. Yeah, that's <laughs> iffy. Unless your job becomes just Klaus criticism and someone pays you to just talk about Klaus all the time. That would kind of be like the perfect job. So, yeah, I will fight anyone for that job. Shall we do the synopsis? Yeah, that that's where I was going to lead us to, because I think Becca has seen this more times than either of us, and I think would be very perfectly positioned to tell us what this movie is about. So, Becca, would you please tell us what Klaus is about? Sure. Thanks for putting me on the spot. You're welcome. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Except I totally wrote something for this, because I knew you'd do this! Because <laughs> uh, you do it every time. But... Klaus is an animated movie that follows Jesper, who's a very spoiled rich boy who has done his best to purposefully fail at postman school so he never has to do anything real with his life. But when his father gets, like, learns this and he's at the end of his wits, he sends him, he gives him one last final chance, go to the isolated town of Smearinsburg and revive their post office or he'll be cut off forever. And this task is nigh impossible because of a family rivalry that has torn Smearinsburg apart. But when he meets an old woodsman named Klaus, uh, Jesper sees the light at the end of the tunnel with collecting letters from children and pennies for their postage and hoping to make his goal of 6,000 letters and return to his privileged life. But one good deed always sparks another and Jesper finds himself falling in love with the town he has helped to revive, even as he is so close to escaping from it. That's what I got. You just made me cry a little bit that's really good hey i'm a i'm a writing major it's kind of what i do <laughs> yeah so i vote we make uh becca write all our synopses from here until the end of time mm, that's a lot <laughs> it'll be it'll be good practice yeah. uh-huh <laughs> yeah it'll be good <laughs> 
Well, perfect. That was a great a great synopsis. So I think we will get into what our our general impressions of this are before we put up our spoiler wall and dive into the specifics. And so, because I have decided I will be nice and friendly, uh, I will let Jen give her first general thoughts. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Sometimes amusing acquaintance. If you, I swear to God, if you go with this like patronizing tone with low condescension, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Be even more nice to the point where you vomit from the kindness. Well, that would be thematically appropriate to the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Sort of. It will never make you vomit, despite the fact that it is a very, very sweet film. But uh, my general impression is that this is truly a beautiful work of animated filmmaking. I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more, but this is a 2D animated feature, which you do not see a lot of anymore. And it's in such a fascinating style. It looks like a book. It's just, it's it's gorgeous. And it's painting a picture of a story that I think a lot of people can identify with in some way, shape, or form even though it is about the rich kid realizing that that's not everything in life, uh, which is kind of, you know, done a lot in Christmas movies. It's done so well, and it's so heartwarming. I cannot express how perfectly the animation tells that story, and that's, I think, what I love most about it. It is not without some problems, which I will talk about later, but otherwise, I watched this twice, and I was completely wrecked, wrecked by the ending both times. And that's honestly the best recommendation that I can give. That ending did make me cry every single time I've watched this movie. It was perfect and adorable and just so, like, it like gave it just that extra little bit of magic that I really love in Christmas movies. Um, because throughout the movie, it's like practical. It's down to earth. This guy's a postman who's really just trying to do his job so he can go home. And, but that ending really just gave it that like Christmas magic that I love. <laughs> and again, yeah, just like Jen said, the, the art was absolutely gorgeous. I know it was 2D, but it felt like 3D the entire time. Like it was so beautiful. And then the story was just, it had me laughing and crying at turns, and it was so, so good. I loved it so much. Ugh. I'm basically incoherent with joy. Yeah, I mean, we're basically just doing this podcast because Becca was like, can we talk about Klaus? And I was like, oh, yes. I did, in fact, say I wanted to scream about my feelings. So <laughs> Ugh. consider this controlled screaming of my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> So what about you, Sean? So art style is also probably the one thing that I really loved about this right from the start. It's really, really beautiful and very well stylized, which I really enjoyed. Uh, all of the like, little character designs. I loved all of that. The fact that a lot of the people had these tiny little chicken-like feet, yes. which I thought was really cute and hilarious. It was adorable. Especially when the guy's like the, you know, as wide as like a Mack truck, but he's got these two tiny chicken legs under him. Yes. It's really funny. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, the like postmaster general guy. He's so thick and yet he has teeny tiny little princess feet. The, his father or Sarge? 
Sarge. 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 Oh my yeah, yeah. god, Sarge. Yes. I kind of wanted Sarge to come come back, but yeah. you know, well, that is what it is. <laughs> so, uh, and overall, I, I you know the story I thought was really quite good. I was really concerned at the beginning because I knew I knew exactly what kind of story we were getting from the spoiled rich kid, and I think like a lot of people right now, I, I'm really tired of stories that valorize rich people. Uh, because I, I despise them and, uh, I am almost at that point where I think we should pull out guillotines. I'm not quite there, uh, because I, I still, well, okay. Yeah, that's, I'm there too. Good. I'm good with yeah, that. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think I, I've grown a little tired of that narrative, but I think it was interesting the way that they played on his unlikability from the start and even with the way he treated people so that you could actually see his change through the story. Which I think was part of why it made it very, uh, made it a, a story that I think was rather touching because it wasn't just that the town changed; it's that we actually saw a measurable change in the main character, even if in reality that is an entire myth that never happens because that's not how rich people really are. Uh, but you know, we one can dream, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we can. But you know, as a contained story, kind of, kind of perfect. And there's a lot of sweetness, and the kids are adorable. Oh my god, the kids were another one of my favorite parts. The kids. They they managed to give all these kids like such individuality. Like even in this space, like it's like a it's an hour and a half long movie, right? You can't give it too much character development for every little tiny little person who's going to show up on screen. But like all the pranks, and then like loving going to school again, incoherent <laughs> screaming. <laughs> incoherent <laughs> yeah i i like that the i know the sequence you're talking about i also liked its treatment of school even though i felt like yeah but th- this doesn't happen <laughs> no but but it's a nice dream to aspire to you know exactly right with kids begging you to teach them stuff man oh wouldn't that be mm. great if that's what a teacher's life was like <laughs> every day the accurate part though was I don't know. No, mm, I might want to wait until after the spoiler. Well, I don't know if that's a spoiler. Wait. Yeah, sorry. Wait. Sorry. Okay. We'll get into specifics later. Um, and we haven't even mentioned the titular character, but Klaus is so perfectly vocalized by J.K. Simmons. And I love that man. And will forever love that man. And I just wanted to mention that. I just, I wanted, I, I just kept wanting Klaus to say, Get me pictures of Spider-Man! <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's better that than any quote from Oz. So, yes. <laughs> Job? No, freelance! <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You just described, like, my entire career up to this point. Uh, Becca, you want a job? Oh, brilliant. It's the way to live. (laughs) Wow, I'm laughing, but the tears are real. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and and the the titular character is obviously exactly who you think he is and and exactly not who you think he is because he has his own unique take because this is, it's effectively a Santa story, but it is a very different Santa story than the one we typically get. And I think that's also part of what makes it rather endearing is it's unique uh compared to a lot of what we're kind of familiar with with the santa stories where even when they sort of play on the classic story the classic story is still there so like i was thinking like the santa claus with an e on the end it's still the same basic santa premise this doesn't have that it it sort of looks at how we make santa uh or make klaus 
who would, I guess, become Santa Claus uh, out of the ashes of a different story. Yeah, I think that's very specifically what's going on with this narrative. And I mean, keep in mind, what a, and this is before we go into spoilers, I want to say this so that people hear it. This is a secular Christmas story. Um, Christmas is actually only mentioned right at the very end of it because it's not what this movie is actually about. This movie is about Klaus. It's about people being good to each other and about altruism. Um, and it's, it doesn't have anything to do with religion, uh, nor on any level. It's not pagan. It's not Christian. It's, it's separate from those narratives in terms of the Christmas story. There is magic. But only sort of the magic that we put into the film, in a way. Yeah. It, it's a very sort of gentle portion of it. And just beautifully wrapped into what is, like I said, otherwise not... It's not a story about Santa Claus. It's This is the Klaus film, right? It is named that without Santa for a very specific reason. And I think it wants you to approach it without all of those prior traditions and, you know, sort of the Coca-Cola-inspired Christmas story that we have in the West in some ways. And and all of those commercial aspects of the holiday that have built up over the last especially 100 years, this movie is separate from that and it gets to the heart of why i love christmas frankly and i think that's what makes this such a successful story overall yeah the theme of one good deed always sparks another was just so well put and um well done throughout the story because you can really see all the characters grow as they begin to realize that joy comes from the simple things that you do, not from the things that people necessarily, like, put on to you. So it's it's really such a beautiful narrative that's tied together by all of these people realizing that their actions are what make the world good. Yes. And it was just so wholesome and pure that it really does, like, really spark that, like, non... I don't know. It's just... Like, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I literally cannot express how much I loved this in words because my heart just wants to scream. It's like enjoy, when the Grinch's heart grows ten times too big or whatever. I can't even remember the line. It's like three times or three whatever. Three times, yeah, normal yeah. size. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Yeah, as you do. You know, and yeah, the main character is like a spoiled rich kid, but like he finds the joy in making other people feel joy. And that's beautiful. Yeah. I, I will also say that's not related to this, but that I think is kind of an important factor is that this, the pacing of this story is really well done. And part of that I think is owed to the fact that it's only one hour and 36 minutes with credits instead of, you know, some of the other kinds of films that we might get, which might be closer to two hours or sometimes over two hours which I think encourages a lot of unnecessary padding, whereas this is very streamlined, 
right? There, there are a lot of very clear character beats. There are very clear moments in the story where, like, this is a self-reflective moment. This is a high-action moment. This is sort of emotional intensity, right? And there are releases at various points throughout the story. And so there aren't any moments that I felt bored or was like, oh, well, this would have been a sequence I would have just dropped. Everything kind of felt like it really belonged there and nothing felt in excess or felt, for me at least, incomplete, which I think is not something I say a lot about films because <laughs> usually something's <laughs> missing. Uh, this, I think, was pretty well contained. I think one of the criticisms we might get to, I, I suspect we might take some issue just in terms of that, but we'll get to that after the spoiler wall. But I don't think that's from a lack of story-related elements that made it part of the story, more a, a different issue. So Yeah, there are definitely different issues. And I'm just going to point it out now that it does have to do with the inclusion of Sami characters. Yeah, or Laplanders, as they're sometimes known in English. But I think that's kind of a separate issue from the overall filmmaking that is going on, because mm-hmm. I do, I said it earlier, there is no wasted frame in this film, and there is no frame that feels like extraneous fluff, like Sean just said. Every frame has a place in this story. And sometimes those frames are just looking at the sunrise, which is amazing. Like, I never thought I would watch a movie where a sunrise would honestly become a very important moment. Um, and yet here it is in this movie. And it's so gorgeously rendered um, that you want to just sit and appreciate certain very small things. And when I say small, I just mean the quiet moments are some of the most important moments in this movie. Yeah, if you just watch this movie for the visuals, like, you will understand the story because it's so clearly told through those visuals. Yes. Yeah. It's gorgeous, and that helps you, like, it helps you follow the storyline. Absolutely. Well, I think this is time to jump into spoilers. I agree. (laughs) So this is the time for the spoiler wall, so... So on one hand, I think it's funny that we're putting up a spoiler wall at all for this movie because like, I mean, let's be honest, it is still a Christmas movie. Like it's basically a Hallmark movie. It's a happy ending. Like (laughs) it has a, it has a happily ever after, but it is, there is some bittersweetness in that happily ever after. Klaus is who you think he is, but also not as Sean said before. I think the only thing that is would really be a spoiler that they don't I I don't remember seeing in the trailers is the fact that the place that he is sent to is consumed by this feud between the two families. Yeah, the family feud is key. Yeah, which is a really hilarious base concept, right? I was not expecting that at all. (laughs) So when the bell is wrong, and I gotta say, Morgan, I think his name is Morgan, freaking hilarious and such a perfect, there's like a term for that type of character. Foil. Foil, I think is what you're going for. I I mean, he is sure, but he's more like, he's like the, the voice on your shoulder. He's like a trickster character. He is the trickster character who's who's leading people in certain directions 
For his own amusement. For his own amusement. <laughs> and what's hilarious is what he realizes, wait, what just happened? Which is another, like, just great sort of touchstone moment right there at mm-hmm. the end. But when they get <laughs> to that central square and he, like, it's his job to just, like, take this rich kid down a peg and he has him ring the bell and the feud erupts. And, like... You see pieces of it going through the town, <laughs> but you have no idea what's going on in that whole introductory There's just a piano like hanging somewhere and an outhouse hanging somewhere <laughs> right. else, and you just... And there's a cannon <laughs> literally hanging over the middle of the road. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, something else, oh, the two women carrying what appears to be like, a body. what the hell is that? Road. Yeah. What? <laughs> It's, it's so good. That one family of kids who were like intensely Adam's family in such a creepy way pushing. <laughs> oh, they're pushing the carrots, the carrots into the into snowman, the oh snowman in the creepiest way ever. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. That oh, she's hilarious. And the funny part is she doesn't change because at the no. end, even though she's now doing proper Christmas she's still decorations, her. she's still creepily putting the well, carrot smiling. into the Oh snowman. my god, yeah. Mm. Oh, it's it's perfect. It's so and I love sort of that that conceptual beat of this is a microcosm of the world essentially is what they're showing, right? Is this these are two people at war with each other. They just happen to live in the same village right next door to each other. Some are redheads, some are brunettes. <laughs> very <laughs> very like Shakespearean. Becca, you and I would be feuding against each other. Well, you know, I think we could come up with some interesting hijinks, so I'd like to see it. Interesting hijinks. I'd like to see it. You know, (laughs) I wish I could make a rocking chair slide like that. I would gladly be the old man in it. (laughs) Yes, right. Although he goes- Poor old man. He goes through some, uh, some adventures, for sure. (laughs) Uh, But I think it's interesting, like, this, this is a very funny, kind of bizarre, really exaggerated concept in the way that the film at least initially approaches it. But it becomes more sort of questionable, not in a bad way, but in in the sense that you sort of realize just how much these people are sort of sucked into the tradition of doing what they're doing rather than having any actual reason. And that this comes up later in the film when one of the kids, like, becomes briefly friends with a child that's from the other side and the parents flip their lid and take them to like the the like mayor like figure of each group and each side is doing the we have a long tradition of hating the other group as their answer to the question of why yeah as kids are want to do they will sometimes ask why and it's and when you like think of it as an adult you go but like that's not a fucking reason <laughs> you're just saying it's tradition we just always did this like but, but why because the the question is really about like what was the inciting incident and why are we still doing this and that's not what any of the adults seem willing to actually engage with it's just like oh like look at the pageantry of all of this stuff we've done by doing horrible things to the other side like and, and literally taking them through a room taking them through a room where like they have like like cuckoo clocks or he's like the great mooning and it's a bunch of butts come out <laughs> and like the kids are looking and going what the yeah, hell kids just want to be kids kids just want to play with other kids like you get a cool toy you share it with the neighborhood until somebody breaks it and then you're mad at them for a bit but it's fine 
It's fine. I think it's it's really fascinating that essentially a story about peoples hating each other for a reason that is really, when it comes right down to it, non-existent. It, and in this, like, every story that they present, the, like, the origin of the fight is literally just the fight. There is no base for this war. None whatsoever. And yet, these two people have been feuding since, as they show, caveman times. You know, like, they literally show a cave painting, which is in itself slightly problematic. And I'll mention that when we start talking about the Sammy part. But it's baseless. Which we probably should. Yes, I think we should get to that in a minute, because it is, I think, the most glaring problem with this movie. Actually, let's go to the Sammy bit, because I think this feud leaves out also a really important thing. The fact that neither one of those people, these families, the Ellingbos or the Crumbs, are indigenous to their place. And the people that are indigenous to their space, they aren't even necessarily a part of this town in any meaningful Mm -hmm. way. And they do play off of the, like we don't like you kind of thing, which I didn't love because, like, nobody understands the little girl, Margu. Nobody makes an effort to understand her until so late in the movie. And then when that culture, when her culture does come more into play, it's basically as the elf role, which we all know is racist. <laughs> so it's it's really, I didn't really like how they were pulled into that, even though they were volunteering. That also just made it even a little bit more problematic for me. It's, I guess I'm taking a slightly different approach because I think the fact that they make the decision for themselves is an important distinction from the actual history of the Sami people in which decisions were largely taken from them. For those that are not familiar with the the Sami people, uh, they are primarily in the the northern Nordic regions, at least where they, they primarily live now. And historically, they faced many of the same kinds of abuse and oppression that indigenous peoples in the United States have. They have been forcibly assimilated into Christianized schools. They have had uh, everything from various biological institutes trying to like harvest their DNA to uh, efforts to sterilize their women uh, going back in this last century, literally in this last century. Um, the Germans like bombed entire settlements and like wiped them off the face of the earth. Uh, so, like, they have faced some pretty horrific abuse at the, at a, in a way that I think a lot of Americans who have an understanding of indigenous history here would understand. But it, I think it's important that in this film, unlike an actual, uh, historical Norway, uh, the Sami people, they're, they're not, like, pressured into helping Klaus. They just show up primarily because yeah. of an act of kindness, because they brought, that that adorable like sail sail thingy sled that was super cute it was a windsurfer but for ice for ice yeah <laughs> which is pretty cool like it looks like something i would have wanted to play with yeah they do look super fun and it is a really sweet thing that happens but it happens so late in the film and i will say unfortunately that though i do agree or did agree Sean with you on in terms of them actually having the choice. And I think it's important to remember that they have an actual Sami actress playing the part of Margu. They have native Sami speakers doing the other parts as well of the 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 rest of the Sami group that ends up helping 
Klaus and Jesper. The problem is, is that, yes, they might have been willing participants in this story, or at least some Sami were willing participants in this movie and made the choice to participate and have their culture portrayed appropriately. And they are. They are largely portrayed in a positive light. But at the same time, the idea of the Sami as Christmas elves is hugely problematic in Finland itself. Like, their culture has been heavily appropriated in relation to Christmas. But there's a, like, a commercial property that um, Sami were protesting only, like, seven years ago. And that site continues to portray Sami peoples negatively and with very racist um, tropes in terms of the, the items that they are selling and things like that. So this is something that the Sami people have had to fight against in Finland. And I think that's a really important thing to remember. Like, though I love this movie, because I do love this movie, I don't think it's fair to the Sami people as a whole. Again, I have not read a a review by someone who is Sami yet, but in the research that I have done, this idea of the Sami helping with Klaus is problematic. And it's made more problematic in this movie by the fact that A, Margu is ignored largely, and she's basically just used as the sounding board for the white rich guy, and B, none of that's translated for us. So they are doubly othered within the context of the story. Yeah. Which is an a definite issue that I wish had not been the case. Yeah. They're, they definitely could have done a little bit more to address that. And like even just translating it for the audience would have been, because then we could have more like visually seen her frustration besides like, act, like we saw it on her face, but like we could have seen it in the words. And I feel like that would have brought out another layer of empathy. I completely agree. And Margot is an absolutely precious, precious, sweet child who deserves all the best in the world. And her voice actress. Oh my God. I mean, she's been in a couple of films in Sami uh, language apparently. And I mean, that alone, um, I guess, should speak to her talents. But apparently the way this happened was the director, Sergio Pablos, actually went up to northern Finland to record with her. And he doesn't speak Sami or Norwegian. It was either Norway or Finland. Mm -hmm. I can't remember which. Um, And she doesn't speak English or Spanish, which is his language. Um, And so they basically had to speak in, like, pantomime and pictures. And... (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's somehow makes her performance even more amazing. Yeah. Because it's really, really compelling. Like when you listen to her screaming after Jasper. Oh, good Lord, I cried. Oh, Mm. my God, my heart strings. And the fact that, again, the trickster character is the one who is, who like tipped off his dad to that he was unhappy. And he gets off the boat and he goes back to help and oh and then he tries to do the right thing with all the wrong ways and oh. I'm sure that won't fester and become you a know, it's fine. later on in it's life. Fine. He gets married, he has kids, he's fine. 
fine. He tucks them into bed like little letters and envelopes. It's super cute. Okay. <laughs> I can keep rambling incoherently, as I have previously demonstrated. Uh, I get where Jen's coming from and where Becca's coming from regarding the treatment of the Sammy. Uh, I especially given the long history. Uh, and I don't know how to get around that in a Christmas movie, which is a hell of a question. Yeah. Like, I think there's an issue here too with the fact that at least in the West or at least the far West as in the United States, uh, Americans don't know really anything about Sami. And I think that's, that's really the reason I wanted to talk about this as an issue. Specifically, when white Americans think of indigenous people, we think of people of color. And the Sami, they're pale blondes, right? <laughs> like, I, I think it depends on the, the Sami person. Uh, granted, it does. But I think that's part of why we tend to forget even that they exist at all. And secondly, that they are indigenous. They are a, an indigenous culture that have been treated like every other indigenous culture on this planet, which is to say really fucking poorly. So when they're included, because they were also, keep in mind, just included in Frozen 2. Oh, were they? Yes, that's actually the big thing. Apparently, Elsa is a frost giant. I didn't know that. There's like all sorts of things okay. that happen oh, in Frost okay. 2. Yeah. That yeah. Frozen Mary. 2 that I'm like, what? My- I don't have a chance to see it yet. <laughs> but I haven't seen it yet. But the people that they meet in it, um, which you can see in the trailer, are apparently supposed to be Sami. And so we're using them in our stories more often now. So we should be recognizing them more and more and really, like, educating ourselves and other people on why that culture should be included and who they are and, like, positive representations and their perspective. Right. And the fact that up until uh, the past few years, they have had no voice in their home countries at all. Um, now they, at least in Finland, I think, have... A, their own parliament and are have been given rights and they have a they're written into the maybe it's Dana I can't remember but they're written into the constitution and everything that's new that is very recent um so there is a long long history just as there are with every other indigenous culture that I can think of of oppression and commodification and repression and all of those things things that are really, really, really bad. So I want to make sure people understand that when they go into watching this movie, which I maybe should have brought up <laughs> before the spoiler wall. It's only an hour and a half long movie. Like, come on. Right, exactly. Um, now that we've dispensed with the depressing part. <laughs> Sorry. My there's also some is issues with Fat Mizia in this, I think, but just in the portrayal of certain people and specifically people with disabilities and Oh and the fact that the naughty boy just happens to be the fat is, child. Uh-huh. Just happens to be the fat one. Oh yeah, that didn't bring up anything from my childhood at all. With the slightly piggy nose, mm -hmm. you know. Thank you, um, Klaus for yeah. No trauma there. Mm. So, no, I got a challenge on this one. There are people who are large 
in this who aren't assholes, and there are some that are large that are assholes. There are skinny ones who are assholes and skinny ones who are not. So I don't think that it is attaching their assholessness to specifically them being a weight or another. I, I didn't necessarily see the disability side, but I may have just missed that. But on that, I think that the film is very clearly shows, like, we're all capable of being dicks. Yes, agreed. I was speaking more to Jesper being the one interacting with the child. Well, to be fair, the child was being an ass. Don't throw snowballs at people. Exactly. That is rude. Granted, but the kid who's doing that is specifically a chubby boy with a piggy nose. And that portrayal is so common in when you look at who the naughty kid is in so many stories, who the bully is, you know. The naughty list gets created solely because of a chubby boy who is a bully. So that's that's kind of a problem. And I think what Becca's talking about is Honey and Pumpkin. About the disability thing, because they, they seem to be low communicative, because they... Because uh, one of them says mine, and the other, I think, just mostly grins. Yeah. I don't know. Their portrayal just didn't feel quite as respected to me. It was unclear to me what is it if... Cause... Yes, I do agree that it was a very unclear. Like, I'm not sure if I'm drawing the right thing from this or not. But it did... Like, the initial perception, I felt, was they, that they were not being... Like, they were not portrayed as strictly normal. Yeah. But then again, neither are the children stabbing snowmen. There are a lot of abnormal people in this city. Yes. You're not. Yeah. There's a lot of weird people in this. And like, it's a weird town. And it's because they're isolated. And like, it's it's a note that they're isolated from everyone. Like, they're the weirdos that we keep off on a separate island. So yeah, it was a little strange. <laughs> not gonna lie. But overall, this movie did have very positive things to say about joy and positive effects of actions on other people that I really did enjoy the message of. Yeah. Yeah. And this this goes to how I said that there's no frame is wasted. You see a lot of, and why Becca, you before said you can watch this movie basically with the sound off, to be honest, and still basically get the idea of what is happening in this town. They just really land those facial expressions. Oh, right. Facial expressions plus the actions that are taking place in the background of all the scenes that Jesper are in, right? Like, there is stuff constantly happening that you have to be watching for. Um, There's a brilliant moment when he's talking to Morgan, talking about, like, how I think this town already has that covered. Ways of communicating. Yeah, that they don't need letters because they communicate through, like... Through of different ways, you know. Yeah, viciously. <laughs> <laughs> and in the background, a cannon pokes out the front of one door, fires, cannonball goes through, and literally breaks off the bottom half of the house. The roof collapses downwards, and the snow falls on the house, and it collapses. And it's just in the background. Yeah. Because that's how crazy this town is. Yes, they do literally kill each other. <laughs> Except not. There's no, there's so much violence in this movie, but no blood. And yet when people die, we don't know what specifically caused those deaths. And you're not actually ever sure that anybody does die. We don't even know if the women are carrying bodies. <laughs> it just is implied. <laughs> it's implied. Especially Emily? the first time he sees it and she backs away going, shh. 
It's fine. <laughs> Don't tell anyone what you saw. She picks up a shoe that drops from the pa- like the thing that they're carrying. So maybe they're just stealing stuff? <laughs> I'm sure that's what it is. And then the guy, obviously, in the rocking chair, the old man in the rocking chair, literally falls from, like, a thousand feet. <laughs> and so- he just goes skiing. He's fine. But it, there is another character that we haven't mentioned yet that I really want to mention before we, like, Alva. Alva! She's so good. And she is so... Like, she is such the epitome of a teacher in that she uses her life savings to get these children's pens and notebooks so they can learn. And it's so beautifully done and, like, such a recognition of the sacrifice that a lot of teachers make for younger children. And and shouldn't have to make. And shouldn't have to make. Like, she should have been able to keep all that money. Like, she should have... But, like, the way that the story goes, it, like, really recognizes the plight of teachers and the fact that in order to give to their students they are like pressured into giving up their dreams so it was as somebody who is watching people in her life struggle with that currently it's so hard to like not see that and not love that portrayal of her as like this well-rounded character who wants to do the best for herself first but also recognizes that these kids are here because she has something that she can give them And it's beautiful, like their relationship and how she like really grows into herself again as like she goes from the local fishmonger back to being a school teacher because and she loves it. And it's obvious that like you see her taking more care of herself and growing and standing up tall and it's beautiful. But it is a struggle that we need to recognize that teachers feel like teachers have to spend their own income in order to give their students a quality experience. And that's that shouldn't be happening. No, I mean, it, it seems such an obvious thing to say. And yet here we are in America. And yet here we are. Yeah, I think you could honestly write an entire dissertation on the portrayal of the school system in this film and Alva's part in both the teaching job, why it's not working in that town. And why yeah. the children inevitably come back to it and, and how it is that they become successful. Because like, there's issues of like, it's all capitalism, right? Uh, underfunding, <laughs> like, <laughs> you've got mm-hmm. a major issue yeah. of underfunding. They're only going back. They're only going back to school so they can spend more money to send <laughs> more letters to get more toys to do all these things. And yes, capitalism is a, I don't know. Like, yes, all that too. But I think more in terms of like just the mere idea of a school, of a community school that is utterly underfunded and not supported by the community. Yeah. Like she says she accepts that, like she accepted that position, but then she showed up. And there were no kids in the classroom because their parents didn't want tribadus being taught next to crumbs and ellingbos. That's yeah, thank you. Yeah, that the the consequence of that is that the the kids are literally only learning what their parents deem for them to learn, which is mostly nothing other than you're supposed to hate these other people and don't play too much. Right. And let's talk about a school in a war zone, which wow, social commentary. Yeah. Effectively. So when they show up under the first lesson she teaches, she's not even into it yet, right? Elva isn't. And she teaches one of the kids how to spell their name. And that the kid's like, holy crap. I mean, she just thinks that, oh, this kid's going to go away. I taught her something. And then, like, we made a deal that she'd leave. And no, but they want is like, oh, teach me something else. Because suddenly they're realizing they're getting all of this information and these skills that they're not getting at home at all. Which is my uh, my version of the idealized 
which I said is kind of not how it really works in the real world, uh, because mostly because we live in a society that's maybe a little bit more developed than this one. And I don't mean technologically, I mean just in terms of the fact that uh, in the United States, we are not currently <laughs> showing up our next door neighbor and shooting a cannon through their bathroom. Yet. Yet. Give it time, guys. But but it is a thing where it's like, like they there's like an acknowledgement that there are those at-home issues, but it sort of simplifies it and which makes sense it's a it's a christmas movie so of course they're going to simplify it but it's it's still like it's a very heartwarming because i think every teacher wants to be in this situation like like no one becomes a teacher just because they're desperate for a job because if fuck you do fucking something else uh they do it because they they hope that they're going to have some impact and i think most teachers think that they do they just they get ground down by the system they're not ground down by the kids Oh, it's definitely the system and the chronic underfunding of schools and children. We have schools that look worse than her fishmonger shack, right? Like, teachers are being so underpaid, they have to work more than one job, which lessens the amount of time they can dedicate to those kids, which just, yeah, it's awful. Yay, America. But it would be really interesting to see somebody do an analytical work on portrayals of elementary school teachers or teachers just in general in genre fiction, I suppose, or any fiction for that matter. Because uh, I imagine there's just a there's a lot where it's sort of because I wonder if part of it is, uh, and this is me just spitballing, is that we as a culture have like the myth of how teaching actually is taught to us through our mm-hmm. our cinema mm-hmm. and the result of that is we don't we're not sort of really aware of how things are really hard and when we're faced with that we don't want it to take away the myth because the myth is like this is a, this is a feel good story right this teacher who sort of puts it all together and that story is way more comfortable than the story where a teacher goes to school is underfunded is criminally underfunded for decades is treated like crap is forced to work two extra jobs is working in a place where literally there's black mold like in the building and that has to figure out where to get textbooks and is begging people for money and eventually just quits and goes and works for an oil refinery because they can't do anything else. This is something that's happened in Oklahoma, for example, because teachers have been begging for money to fix buildings, to increase teacher pay. They've gone on strikes and they've asked and asked and asked and asked. And they basically have been given very, very little. And a lot of them just said, you know what? I can't do it because at some point I have to be able to live a life for myself because I will just, I'll just, they'll just die. You'll just, you'll just die early if you just grind yourself into dust. And so a lot of them left. And like I remember watching interviews with teachers and one person literally saying, I went to work in like an oil refinery. And it's like, what a criminal waste of that talent that they've gone on to go work, but they make like five times as much in a in like half a year than they made in like a decade working at an oil refinery. How fucked up is that? But that's the society we live in. And I wonder if some level it's that mythology we bought into the stories. And I was thinking the same thing, and it ties into this, which is I watched a YouTube video, which was like Elon Musk as himself in various fictional television shows. And I started thinking to myself, like, this is how you turn people who really aren't morally good people into seeming like they're actually just good guys like you and I by giving versions of them to us that seem like they're relatable and just like us, even though they'll just turn around and use the power that they've accumulated by exploiting people to do unimaginable harm. And while this show does not necessarily show that angle of this, 
I'm going to just say straight up, it's definitely implied if the postal system is, is a, it can make you wealthy. It's definitely not the postal system in America, but you know, as you do. Well, maybe they're not required to pay their pensions out 75 years in advance. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you do it. <laughs> oh, 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 burn, snap. sick burn, Becca. Mm. Anyways. I love that our discussion of Klaus, a magical Christmas <laughs> story turned into <laughs> The I am nothing if not a critical thinker, thank you. Right, the criticism <laughs> of the portrayal of indigenous peoples uh, and a critique of capitalism. Like, seriously, the movie is really good, but, like, it does open up the spaces for that conversation to happen, and that's something that makes the movie even better, in my opinion. Like, if a movie inspires you to start a conversation about something, that means that movie is doing something. So Klaus is just a perfect example of it. And I think, I think, I get we're being like very critical and we're like dealing with these, all these serious issues. But I think it's also fair to say you could just watch this movie and just, just watch it for, for the giggles and the fun and the joy. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, definitely. You can turn off your higher brain and like just watch it. It's good. It's something we hadn't talked about and we, we may not get to talk about it much because we're getting a little bit long, but there are some really, really intense emotional mo- moments in this. Um, Klaus's, family situation right losing his loved one and the sort of pain of that right the the emotional conflict that sort of arises when they realize that jesper originally was doing all of this for his own gain Mm -hmm. speaking of you know that whole conversation that sean just had about you know rich people using people for their own exploiting this is a story of jesper using people and then realizing that that's bad and shitty of him and that he can do good where he is because doing Good. Always. I mean, and wouldn't it have been nice if his incredibly wealthy father, I don't know, contributed to society in some way other than sending his like spoiled brat son to right? a city that is like clearly dealing mm-hmm. with poverty? Um, you know, but no. No. no, no, this is not that story. This is the story of Christmas and how. What's the light again, Becca? It's, uh, one good deed always sparks another. Yes, that one. See, that's what this movie is about. It's a very Christmas message. It is such, like, this is a story of what makes the Christmas that I believe in the Christmas I believe in, right? Because I am an atheist. My Christmas is about giving and about altruism. So to see that very specifically play out on screen was just gorgeous. And the sequence of the town, like changing having like cookouts and markets and And brunch brunch how dare they don't forget brunch i lost my poor sven to a book (laughs) club but yeah and like obviously christmas is christmas like it's inherently religious but this movie is specifically not addressing that like it is specifically just talking about joy and good deeds and gift giving and it's beautiful it is very nice there's a lot of sweetness yeah can we uh wrap this up final thoughts great so go to you jen final thought great go yay despite every problem that i just cited for an hour (laughs) it's fine (laughs) for an hour I'm sorry. I apologize. I talked a lot, as I usually do. I loved this movie. I will continue to watch this movie probably every single year until Netflix takes it off of Netflix because it is – we didn't even really, like, discuss, like, how this is a 
triumph of animation very specifically because it is 2D and yet looks 3D. Friggin' gorgeous. It's using technology in a way that it has never been used before. And I can't wait to hear more about that process. The texture artists were, oh my god, and the lighting, ugh. (laughs) It kills me how gorgeous this movie is on every single level. And... And your grade? Uh, A plus, even with the problems. I gotta give it an A plus. I have not been this moved by a Christmas movie in years. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on the same route as you. Like, I loved almost every bit of this movie because it's gorgeous and it has a really good message and just one good deed does always spark another. Like, you can make people happy just by, you know, smiling at them or doing something nice and it is like this movie is absolutely gorgeous like i could watch it a million times and never get bored and always notice something different because every frame is again used and every frame leads that story and tells that story and pulls it out and just makes it feel absolutely amazing and a plus plus because i friggin love this movie and i'm gonna watch it forever dang (laughs) forever (laughs) <laughs> and ever and ever and ever i will mostly parrot some of the sentiment you all suggested but then i'll just take a slightly different route by just saying yes all of what you said but also uh sergio pablos <laughs> this is his directorial debut he has been a producer and a character designer and in, in, in various capacities uh, on many other great animated films despicable me uh, including Despicable Me 1, 2, and 3 uh, in various capacities there. He also did the voice of Pumpkin and Olaf in this film. And so I'm very curious to see where he goes as a director. Uh, and for that reason, uh, I have to give it an A because I think this is an exceptional film. It's very good. It's very wor- well worth watching. You should definitely watch it with your kids. And uh, I think it's, as far as a directing debut... Like, pretty damn impressive. Really, really impressive. I did not realize that it was his first directorship. Yeah, it's, it's, he's done production and he's done character designing and animation and supervising and a bunch of other stuff, but he's, this is directing debut. He apparently worked on this film in some capacity or another for a decade before he finally got someone to agree to it and then to get Netflix to agree to distribute it. Um, and it is an Oscar contender. They did release it in theaters before it released on Netflix. So, uh, Oscar voters, if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast. I think this is one that definitely deserves to be in the best animated feature section. Oh, yeah. At the very least. Yes. At the very least. Yes. And screw whoever was it with a Steven Spielberg that says, like, Netflix films don't count or whatever. Fuck off. Yeah, he can fuck off. This is, like, better than the last six films you made, Spielberg, so. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Well, on that note, folks, uh, if you've got any questions for us or if you want to let us know what you thought about the film, you can find us at all of the places, skiffyandfanity.com. You can leave a comment on this particular episode at Skiffy and Fanny on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Skiffy and Fanny. Uh, you can also email us, Skiffy and Fanny at gmail.com. We have a newsletter, Skiffy and slash newsletter. Uh, what else do we got? A YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Skiffy and Fanny. Uh, I think also you can get a free webcam straight into Jen's, uh, basement. 
at www.jensbasement.com slash skiffyandfantywebcam. All you got to do is become a Patreon supporter and you get that live feed. Yeah. Let's at go. Patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty. Hey guys, now I'm going to have to set up a camera in my basement. I don't think my daughter is going to appreciate that when she's working out. Oh, too bad. Ooh, but I do get a new basement soon. <laughs> well, in, in any case. In any case. And, uh, and as always, if you want to support what we do, uh, you know, Patreon is great, but also reviews on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Plays, any of that honestly is great. Uh, it helps us reach new listeners and so we can grow and then one day uh, we can literally retire and just make podcasts like the giant nerd noodles that we are. What he's trying to say is all you have to do is grab all your friends and strap them to some chairs and just play the podcast. And it's good. Yeah, you can do that and leave, make them leave reviews for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Five stars only. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are we done now? Are we done now? Are we going to magically disappear into the wilderness? Oh, no, don't do that. That made me sad. Oh, God, that was so depressing. Jen? It was, it was joyful, but like, oh, God, I was crying. Uh- <laughs> yeah, this is the spoiler that we're not even going to spoil the spoiler because it was too beautiful and too so amazing feeling. and too magical. But uh, with that, I think it's time to have an awkward ending Jen. and scene because Jen. John is crying. Jen. I'll run off incoherently why, screaming. Why are you making me feel things? It's not right. <laughs> it's not right. I'm sorry, I'll never. Oh, you really again. encompass the human spectrum of emotions. We've gone from rage to tears. <laughs> And on that note, awkward ending and see. Stay frosty. Bye. Happy holidays. I got a legit fake tear in my eye right now. If you would like to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty or find us on Twitter at skiffyandfanty, our webpage skiffyandfanty.com, or you can even send us an email at skiffyandfanty at gmail.com. The intro music for this podcast was taken from Rock Thing by Creo. You can find out more about their music on freemusicarchive.org.